You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you today. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name's Jake, and I'm so glad that you're joining us. I uh, hope that you find your time with us encouraging and helpful in your relationship with God or exploration of who he is. And so uh, we love that you're here. Um, we are actually wrapping up a four-part series this morning that we've been calling Abide, uh, subtitled Life with God. And uh, this series is uh, kind of kicks off our whole ministry year. Our ministry year as a church can, runs from September uh, through August each year. And so uh, we, this was an important series in the life of our church, and we really had three big goals with it. Huh? The first reason we did this series is because we want us to all reflect on and be confronted with the wild truth that God wants to be with each of us. That God, the creator of the universe, the one who is all-powerful, holy, incredible, he, he wants to be with you. And we said, as we start this year off, we just want to acknowledge that and just how amazing that is. And that even not only does he want to be with us so bad that he created us that we could be with him, but when we walked away from him, he didn't just wipe his hands and say, all right, you know, fine. Now he came after us at great expense to himself. I mean, each week this series, we've gone to 1 Peter 3.18, which says that for Christ suffered the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. And just what incredible truth that is. That this is what Jesus has done for us to bring us to God so that we can be with God. So we said we want to, we want to do this series just to, for all of us to just hear this week after week for at least four weeks and just be confronted with this incredible truth. God wants to be with you. And then we also have done this series because we want to encourage us to respond to that. And to this God who wants to be with us, that we would say, you know what? I also want to be with him, right? And a big desire of this series is to grow hunger in us, to want to be with God, to, you know, as we're talking about, to abide with Christ, to remain in him, to stay with him, to stay connected with him, to do life with God. And we shared last weekend at our family gathering on Saturday and then last Sunday when Justin taught that Our big prayer as we start this year is that all of us, that each one of us would respond to this incredible God who wants to be with us. And we would say, I too want to be with you. And this year, I want to make a commitment to deepen my relationship with you. Now, remember, we've said this each week, but our relationship with God begins just through simple faith in Jesus Christ alone for what he has done and dying in our place for our sins and rising again. When you put your faith in Christ, you enter into a relationship with him. But none of us enter into relationships with people just to say, I have a relationship with them, but with no desire ever to deepen that relationship. That doesn't make any sense. And the same thing is true in our relationship with God. We can enter into the relationship with God through faith in Christ. But once we're in that relationship, God invites us, get to know me more. Spend time with me. Let's have a deep, intimate relationship. And this year we're saying, we want all of us, we want to respond to that invitation from God by all of us saying, yeah, I want that. I want a deeper, 
more intimate, more abiding relationship with God. And so here's what we put before everyone last weekend is this. We, we said this is our goal for the year. Our goal for the year is that in order to more fully know and be compelled by God, we want to commit to connect with God by developing two healthy spiritual habits, that we would make it a practice, that we would develop a habit of spending time with God in order to deepen our relationship with the God who wants to be with us. And the point of these spiritual healthy spiritual habits is not just so that we will read the Bible and pray more, though that's good, but those are, that's, a, that's, a, that's just a means to an end. The reason we're wanting to encourage all of us to take that, those steps is so that we will get to know God and be compelled by him. And so this today, I just want to uh, remind you all or perhaps inform you if you're the first time you're hearing this, but this morning is a significant morning in our uh, uh, church because we're asking all of you or giving you at least an opportunity to respond to, to this by saying, yeah, I want that. I want to commit to know God more this year, to grow in my relationship with him, the intimacy of my relationship with him, to abide in him. And so I'm going to commit to doing that. And this morning, during our communion, which we do at the end of each message every week, but today, during that time, you're going to have an opportunity to drop off a commitment card. And uh, you should have received one of these last week or when you walked in this morning, but if you don't have one, you can raise your hand right now. If you want one, <laughs> we'll pass this out to you. Justin's walking around passing these out if you don't have one already. So, but you'll have an opportunity to drop this off in one of these buckets at the front communion tables or there's buckets in the back communion tables, and you can commit to say, I want to spend time with God, and here are the two habits that I'd like to develop this year because I want to know God more. And as an act of worship, we're going to drop this off when we take communion as a way of saying, God, I want to know you more. So I'm really excited about that. We're going to do that at the end of the message. But that's a big goal of this series is that we would say, okay, God wants to be with us. Let's want to be with him. And then there was a a final goal of the series, and that was to help us overcome some of the obstacles that get in the way of us actually spending time with God, of abiding in Christ and, and, and having a deep relationship with him. And those obstacles we talked about were like practical obstacles, like busyness. We did talk about that the first week. The second week, we talked about character obstacles, like pride. Last week, we talked about just the really, really practical relational obstacles with God, namely that he's invisible, and that makes it hard <laughs> to relate to him. And so we talked through that. Justin did a great job teaching on that last week. And today, we're going to address one more big obstacle that can get in the way of us really having a deep relationship with God, wanting to spend time with him. And that obstacle is something that we all struggle with to one degree or another. It's the obstacle of um, having too low of a view of God. Having too low of a view of God. And I know that we all struggle with this because none of us have a right view of God, a perfect view of God. We can't. He's infinite. We're finite. We will never fully grasp how incredible God is. So all of us, no matter who we are, our view of God is incomplete. It's lacking. It's, it's lower than he, how awesome he actually is. But many of us really have an issue because our low view of God leads to a contentment or apathy and our desire to spend time with him because we don't see that he's really worth spending time 
with. You know, I, I know, like, let me just talk to the Christians in this room. And uh, Christians, like, I know we would all say, hey, God's great. Yeah, I mean, he's, he made me. He, he died for me. He's my Savior. Yeah, he's great. But how many of us, when practically in our everyday, we say, yeah, I mean, he's great. But, you know, I just, I hate to admit it, and I, I wouldn't just come out with this, but I just don't really have, I just don't really have the time to spend with him. I mean, it's football season, right? Or, or, or there's a new series to binge. Or, you know, work is just really crazy. Or I really need my sleep. Or I have to get that A. Or I'm a freshman in college and there's so much to do. And I just don't have time to spend with him. How we view someone really determines how badly we want to spend with that person. Right? The other uh, day I was... Uh, hanging out with my, my sons, Camp and Enoch, and we were having breakfast, and I just asked him. I always ask him really random questions. This day, I asked him, Mom, hey, if you could spend, it was breakfast, and I was like, hey, if you could spend this day with anyone in the world that's alive right now, who would you choose? And oh, you're completely expecting them to say me, right? But they didn't say me. Uh, they said, <laughs> uh, Camp responds quickly. He says, uh, Peter Parker. <laughs> I said, so he's, he's not real. He's like, no, 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 I know, I, I know he's not real, but the guy who plays Peter Parker in the Marvel movies. I was like, Tom Holland? He's like, yes, that's who I want to hang out with. It's like, oh, cool, yeah, that'd be fun. Then I ask Enoch, and Enoch's a little bit slower to, like, pro, he's, a pro, he's a deep thinker, so he's not going to answer quickly. And so he's, he's taking his time, finally he says, well, you tell, Dad, you go first. You tell me who, you're gonna, who you choose. So I said, all right. Well, and I said, there's a lot of people to choose from. I don't know, but I think right now I would choose Michael Jordan. He's like, really? Michael Jordan? Why? He's like, he's the greatest basketball player of all time. He is, Josh. He's better than LeBron. <laughs> and, uh, and he says, he says Dad, he's old. He doesn't even play basketball anymore. I said, yeah, but you know, he owns a basketball team, and he's filthy rich. And I bet if I spent time with him all day, I could ask him for a million dollars, and he'd give it to me. And Enoch said, oh, in that case, I want to hang out with Michael Jordan, too. <laughs> Perspective completely changes on Jordan once he finds out he's rich and not just old and maybe would be generous towards him. He's like, that's who I want to hang out with. Your view of somebody, how you view them, is going to determine how badly you want to spend time with them. And friends, sadly, and even a little bit embarrassingly, we have a low view of God. And that impacts how badly we want to spend time with him. And as we wrap up this series, what I want to do is just look at a passage that every time I read it, it challenges my low view of God and elevates my understanding of how awesome he is. The passage is found in Revelation chapter 4 and 5. Now, the book of Revelation is such an interesting and hard to understand book. But in this, these two chapters, what we see is that the uh, author of Revelation John the Apostle, the, one of Jesus' disciples who wrote the Gospel of John and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John in the Bible, he wrote Revelation. God actually takes him to give him this view into the throne room of heaven. And what he, said, what he sees there is just so incredibly powerful. And like I said, it, it, I think, I'm praying, been praying, that it will do for you what it does for me every time I read it. It just elevates my view of how incredible God is. So if you will, go uh, turn your Bible, pull up on your phone or whatever, Revelation chapter 4 and 5. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read all the way through chapter 4, and then I'm going to come back and, and um, you know, 
hit on a couple things I want to make sure we don't miss. All right, and then we'll get to five eventually. So uh, Revelation 4 starts off this way. It says, uh, After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. This is John speaking. He says, And the voice I, ha- I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I'll show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the Spirit. Now, just pause there and say that. So there's some debate on what this means. Most likely this means that he did, wasn't physically taken to heaven. But in the Spirit, uh, he was taken, or by the power of the Holy Spirit, he's taken to see, to look into the throne room of heaven. And here's what he sees. It says, And there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. And surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. And they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold in their he- on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And in front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Another pause here. And this is symbolic language. Probably means the sevenfold spirit of God. The number seven in the, in the book of Revelation. Really, all of Scripture is the number for perfection. This is probably a statement about the perfect spirit or the Holy Spirit that's before the throne. And then verse 6 says, Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. And in the center around the throne were four living creatures. And they were covered with eyes in front and in back. And the first living creature was like a lion. And the second was like an ox. And the third had a face like a man. And the fourth was like a flying eagle. And each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around and even under its wings. And day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give, uh, give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and they say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And by your will they were created and have their being. Friends, um, when you think about God, do you ever picture God in the way that's described here? When you picture God, is this, is this a scene that comes to your mind? And when you were in John's shoes, and you were the one who was brought by the Spirit into the, into the throne room of heaven, and you looked in this. What, what do you into this whole scene, what do you think you would fixate on? See, I think it's really interesting that what John mentions first and what really is the theme of the whole chapter for Revelation is uh, the throne. Did you notice that? Like very first thing he sees is the, is the throne. In verse 2, it says this. I think the next slide has it on it. He says, at once I was in the spirit. And there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. In this chapter, chapter 4 of Revelation, it's 11 verses long. The throne is mentioned 11 times. It's the central image in the book of Revelation, especially in chapter 4. 45 times the throne is mentioned in the book of Revelation, 11 of those times right here in this chapter. 
And the reason that the throne is front and center for John, very first thing he mentions, this thing he repeats over and over again, is not because it was this incredible piece of furniture. Though I'm sure it wasn't shabby. You know, I'm sure it's a pretty good throne. But it's not that the throne looked incredible. It's what the throne was, uh, you know, the, symbolized the significance of what it says about the one who's seated on it. For who sits on a throne? The one who reigns. Right? And this isn't just any throne. This is the throne in heaven. This is the throne above every throne. And so the one who sits on this throne is not just a king, but he's the king of kings. He's not just the Lord. He's the Lord of lords. And when John sees the throne and the grasp, the significance that God is on his throne. He's just fixated on it. He just can't stop talking about it because as what, what does a king do from his throne? See, the power and the authority of the king is that when he sits on the throne and he takes his rightful place, he just simply needs to speak. And by the power and the authority of his words, things begin to happen. That when he speaks, things change. The king doesn't have to get off the throne and make things happen. He just simply needs to speak it, and it's done. The decree is issued, and people are called to obedience. And what we will see in this next chapter is that in this moment, God is about to issue a decree that's going to cause all of creation to become obedient under him. And John is saying, God is on his throne. He is in control. He reigns supreme. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And this is what he is taken by. This is what he can't get out of his mind. This is what he repeats 11 times because this is an amazing truth. And guys, you know what is the only thing that I know that's more amazing? The fact that God is on his throne and therefore we can have peace because we know he's on his throne. The only truth beyond that that just amazes me, just floors me, is that this is the God that wants to be with us. The God that is on his throne wants to be with you and has made the way by his power to, for you to be with him. Is this who you think about when you think about God? And John goes on, he doesn't just say God's on his throne, he also begins to try to describe what God looks like. And what we see here is that he struggles with it because God is indescribably beautiful. And look at verse 3. He, he says this, And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Um, now, what does that mean, <laughs> right? It's like, okay, so, you know, this one who sat on there had the appearance of, and you think he's going to explain, like, physical form. And he said he's, it's like John walks into a jewelry store. He's like, here, yeah, it's like, here, yeah, it kind of looked like that. It kind of looked like this thing, right? And it's like, what are you talking about? Now, here's what I find fascinating. In 1 Timothy chapter uh, 6, verse 15 and 16, the Apostle Paul begins to talk about God, and here's what he says. He says, God, the blessed and only ruler, the king of kings and lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in what? Unapproachable light. 
whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and might forever. Amen. And guys, here in Revelation 4, you have John trying his best to grab words to describe what he saw when he looked on the one on the throne, but he doesn't describe a physical form. Now he says, it's, it's like this. It's like, it's like, it's like light retru- you know, reflected off of precious jewels. It's, it's like this just brilliance of, 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 from a ruby or a jasper, from, from an emerald. It's just a sparkle of the rainbow of just light. And that's all I could see. That's all I could really make out. It's just this incredible light. It's beautiful. But I can't see anything else. This is what Psalm 104 says about the appearance of God. He says, the Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. Because that's what John describes here how many of us have seen is a gorgeous sunset and we just can't take our eyes off of it and when you begin watching the sun as it begins to set you start watching right when it still kind of hurts your eyes but you're not you don't want to miss it because it goes fast so you're looking and you're kind of squinting but then the sun is sinking down the horizon the light is incredible as it reflects off the atmosphere and the clouds and just beautiful you think that that's incredible Friends, when we see God, the most beautiful of sunsets, for that matter, the most beautiful thing you have ever seen is going to be dim in the light of his glorious grace. And you're not going to want to take your eyes off of him. Because that's who he sees. And friends, that's who wants to be with you. The most beautiful, the most glorious. Says, I want you. I want to be with you. I made the way by my power for you to be with me through my son dying in your place. Guys, is that not incredible? John continues in this chapter. It's like he widens the frame, right? And he just kind of starts pulling back and showing all that's encircling the throne. And everything what you see is just fixated and directed towards what to the one on the throne. And he says, uh, he uses words like this. He tells us what's encircling the throne and surrounding the throne and coming from the throne and around the throne and before the throne. And you have these 24 elders and four living creatures and all their attention is focused on the one on the throne. And I don't have the time to try to explain to you who the 24 elders are or who the living creatures are, if they're people or creatures or, el- or angels. I, you know, I probably wouldn't be right if I tried. But I know one thing for sure, and this is what we should not miss, is this. All of them are preoccupied by the one who's on the throne. Every single one of them is just fixated on the one who's on the throne. And day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Because if this isn't, telling about how incredible God is. You have these incredible creatures who are in his presence and they just can't stop shouting and apparently shouting yes yes, to God but also 
to one another and to the elders who hear them as worship leaders. And then the elders bow down and they place the crowns at the feet of, of God on his throne. And they're moved and they're just shouting over and over like, holy, holy, holy. He's amazing. Holy means completely other, set apart. Unlike anything else, it's like they're just like, he's incredible. Do you see this? This is unlike anything. Being a, being a uh, dad of a daughter uh, draws out emotions in me that nothing else does. Della, my daughter, is seven or about, actually, she would be pumped up that I just said that. She's turning seven in two weeks. And um, <laughs> she, uh, but she's just, I just love her. And like, she's just, uh, beautiful. And sometimes when I'm around her, I can just lose track of what else is going around on around us. Because I just kind of zeroed in on her, you know. I remember we t- went to Disney World a couple years ago. And uh, I remember one, one ride. Uh, I know we stood in line for over an hour to ride it. But I can't tell you a single thing about it. But all I know is that when we were on this ride, I just looked at her the whole time. And it was just, just every, you know, movement, every... Uh, emotion, every uh, reaction to what was going on. I can't tell you anything about it other than that she had a great time. And just fixated on her. She's just, she's beautiful and she's, she's mine. Guys, that's how uh, all of these elders, these living creatures, they're just, that's how they're zoned into God. And they're just fixated. He's a preoccupation of heaven. He's, he's unlike anything else. He's holy, holy, holy. They're just completely taken by him. And they say, our Lord and God. Like he's mine. And throughout scripture, we have the audacious privilege. What we see is that people refer to God not just as the God, but as my God. That this is the God who wants to be with us, who made the way for us to be with him, that we could be called his children, his son, his daughter, and we can call him my God. He wants that kind of relationship with him. Friends, do you know that this is who wants to be with you? And I think we have too low of a view of God. One of the main reasons we have too low of a view of God is because things in this world are not as they should be. Things in this world are messed up. And our image of God and our understanding of God is incomplete and distorted. And when we come to Revelation 5, this scene that John is seeing, it continues It just keeps on going, and what we see is what God has done and is doing in order to set all of the broken things in this world right. Here's what he says, Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. And I wept and wept. 
because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Now, you read that and it begs the question, um, okay, so what's this scroll, right? <laughs> scroll? And, uh, and why is John weeping and weeping? Like, what's going on here? Um, so the scroll, let me you know, talk on that for a second. The, the, the scroll, uh, the contents of this scroll, if you keep reading in Revelation, you'll see the contents of the scroll are actually Revelation 6 through 19. Just read through if you want to see what's in there. But what's more important than the contents of the scroll is the significance of the scroll, the purpose of the scroll. And the purpose of this scroll is what many theologians refer to is that this scroll is like the title deed to earth. That this scroll, if, when, if the seals could be broken and the king of kings on his throne would read the contents of this scroll, then by his power and his authority, these words, would all of creation would become obedient to him. And once again, the earth would be fully subject and obedient and have life in God. That when he reads this, these things would come to pass. The prayer that we pray, the prayer that Christians have prayed more than any other prayer for the last 2,000 years will be answered with a final and resounding yes when the scroll is opened. Here's the prayer. Our God who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when the king of kings would open the scroll and read the contents, it would set into motion the final and full reality of his kingdom coming and his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. And all injustice and all evil in this world would be removed. And yet no one was found worthy to open the scroll. And John wept, and he wept as he should. Because if God would not read these words and declare this, because no one was found worthy enough to make it so, to bring it about, then it could not happen in the mass shootings and the hurricanes and the racism and the greed and the violence and the sex trafficking and the on and on, you just keep going. All of it will remain. The mockery of God will continue. And John wept and he wept. But then, verse 5 Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and it's seven seals. And so then John turns and he's looking to, to, to see the lion. And this is what he said, sees. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. Encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And the lamb had seven horns, which is again a symbolic statement about his perfect power. Horn symbolizes power, perfect power. And he had seven eyes, which are the seven spirits, the sevenfold spirit of God sent out into all the earth, which is, again, another symbolic reference to his perfect, all-knowing, and all-seeing nature. And it says in verse 7, He went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Friends, 
prayed all week that this would really confront our low view of God. Because what we see here is that Jesus is the only solution to the world's biggest problem. That he is the only one who is worthy, the only one who is capable to set every wrong thing right. And John weeps because he thinks there is no solution, but the elder says, don't weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, meaning the king, he's the solution. He can open the seal. He's triumphed. He's victorious. And John, again, he turns, and he's looking for the lion, and what he sees is a lamb, looking like he's slain, looking like he had bled out. For me personally, this is the most awe-inspiring description of Jesus in all of Scripture. That Jesus is both the lion and the lamb. And that because he is both the lion and the lamb, he has the power and authority to open the scroll and set everything right because he also is the lamb who was slain in order to satisfy the justness of God against the evil and the sin of this world. And as both the lion and the lamb, Jesus is the only solution for the biggest problems of mankind, the biggest problem in the world. That he is, as the lamb, John the Baptist would declare, the the lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. And that's what he's done. And because of him, things will be and can be set right. And the stuff that we see, that we hate, and we say, God, why does it have to be this way? It won't have to always be that way because of Jesus. This is who our God is. And he wants to be with you. In fact, he was slain so that you can be with him. Verse 8, and when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. And each one had a harp, like here comes the band. And they were holding golden bowls of full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, brand new song. Here it is. Worthy, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. Friends, do you see this? Jesus is the hero of all heroes. I mean, just think about how we react to anyone that we think has the power to set things right or we feel like is setting things right. A politician or, or you know, whatever, some uh, advocate for social justice or for uh, a, a hero on a f- football team. We think they can do something to set things the way that we want them to be. And if they do that, then we give them our money and our attention and our praise and our worship, our loyalty and our allegiance. Friends, Jesus is the one who will really and truly and finally set all things right. 
I'm reading this and I'm just thinking like, man, how do we not respond with this incredible adoration for Jesus all the time in light of how he's going to set everything right? I think, you know, I'm watching football games yesterday and I'm thinking like, when, when someone, your team is behind and you're like, oh man, we're behind. Things are not good in the world. And then your team scores and everything's right in the world and you're praising, heaping praise on the person. Like, I mean, what, what time captures that better than, than this moment right here, right? Fourth and five. I kind of feel like Joe. I'm too old for this. <laughs> Fourth and five, the national championship on the line right here. He's going for the corner. He's got it. Young scores. As we said, Keith, you can have the perfect defense called. You can force him out of the pocket. Now, I am definitely playing to my crowd. As an Aggie, it kind of pains me to show that again. I know many of y'all have goosebumps watching that. I know. Many of y'all probably have all of the lines of that, of that whole video memorized. And I'm not here to pour water on it. That was awesome. That was an awesome moment. But guys, can't we all see? That's stupid insignificance compared to what we're talking about here. Jesus is the hero of all heroes. That he is the one who's going to set everything right. He's the one who made it possible. He's the only one who is worthy. Why? Because he was slain. And so he purchased you for God, to be with God. He purchased you. What does that mean? He paid the debt of your sin and of my sin so that the world could be set right. And the mass shootings can end. And the racism can end. And the greed can end. And the selfishness can end. And the world that we all long for can come. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Guys, how do we respond to that? What's the only rational response to that? Verse 11. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousand. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them. This is where we come in. We will be, our voices will be a part of this and we will proclaim to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen, meaning so be it. It is, make it so, it is so. And the elders fell down and worshiped. 
There's a uh, wise principle that goes like this. Oh, we should begin with the end in mind. Whether it's a project you're starting or parenting, a habit you're wanting to form, losing weight. <laughs> you begin with the end in mind. And you let the end in, that you have in mind inform your day-to-day. Friends, there's going to be a day when every one of us is going to come face-to-face with God. And we're going to see him on his throne And he's going to be indescribably beautiful. And we will not want to take our eyes off of him. And we will see Jesus, the lion and the lamb who was slain to make the way through faith in him. To be reconciled to God. To be with God. And on that day, you will praise him with all you have. Don't wait for that day. Friends, let what you know you will be doing on that day inform what you will be doing on this day and the next day and the next day. This is the God who wants to be with you, who has made the way for you to be with him. Friends, he died for you. If you have never trusted in that, that Jesus paid the debt for your sins, I would encourage you today, don't wait. All you have to do is simply believe. Jesus, I believe that you died in my place to bring me to God, to reconcile me to God. Just tell him that. Just simple faith. But friends, for those of you who have already placed your faith in Christ, and are reconciled to God. Don't stay at an arm's distance. As incredible as he is on that day, friends, he is just as incredible today. And he invites you to know him and to deepen your relationship with him and to find eternal life and joy in him now. Friends, let's begin with the end in mind. This is why, as a church family, we say, like, if, we, if, any, if God could do anything in our church this year, here's what we really would love to see him do. We would really love to see him move us to spend more time with him so that we get to know him better, so that our relationship with him deepens, that we would abide in him. This is why, as I said earlier, you're going to have an opportunity in a second here to drop off your commitment card as an act of worship, to say to God, God, I want to know you more. I want to know you more, so I'm going to set aside time to to, to develop these spiritual healthy habits, not because the habits themselves is the point, though they're a means to an end, the end being knowing God, abiding in Christ, being compelled by his love. As I pray that you would take that step. Let me tell you, without a doubt, he is worthy. He is worthy.
take communion every morning on Sundays to, to remember that. Because when we take communion, we are reflecting on the fact that God the Son, the, the King, the Lion, is also the Lamb who was slain. And that his body was broken and his blood was spilled out to purchase for God people. You and people of every tribe and every nation and every tongue, every language. And because he did that, we can be with him. As, as we take communion, we remember his body broken, his blood spilled. May God use this to compel our hearts to respond to the fact that he wants to be with us this much. And we would say, I want to be with you. I want to deepen my relation with you this year. Let me pray, and then you can come up to the front or the back. Remember to bring your commitment cards if you want to drop them off. And um, also, it, you know, we practice open communion. Everyone is welcome to, to take communion here. Uh, as long, we just ask that you actually believe what you're taking, that you believe that when you're taking the cup and the bread, that you're actually remembering that Jesus died for you. If you aren't ready to believe that yet, or you haven't believed that yet, I want to encourage you to use this time to talk to God about that that perhaps even now you would place your faith in him. Feel free to get up and walk around as you do that. You don't need to stay seated. Okay, let me pray. Also remind y'all that we have a prayer team in the back. Akiko and Justin are back there. If you want someone to pray with you during this time, we'd love to do that. Heavenly Father, God, you sit on the throne. You have all power and authority. You are indescribably beautiful. Lord, all of heaven is fixated on you. And yet, God, we often take you for granted. We have a low view of you. God, we confess that. And we ask that you would raise our eyes to see you as you are. And Lord, that we would be moved by the fact that you want to be with us. And you have made the way in Christ for us to be with you. And as we take communion now, that we would remember the lion and the lamb who was slain for us, that we could be reconciled to you. And God, that it would come home even more to our hearts that this is how incredible you are. And God, we would not be apathetic or content in the depth of our relationship with you, but instead be compelled to know you more, and that you would be honored in that. We love you, God. Thank you, our great and awesome King of Kings, for loving us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.